for the rest of us, before we begin and come to the word, uh, can I just have a moment of vulnerability with you guys? I'm usually so guarded and you have no idea what I'm actually thinking. Um, thank you for laughing, some of you. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke. Um, but I'm going to, here in a minute, Brian Hayes, if I can put you on the spot just to pray. This week, like since we've come back from Jordan, there was a lot of spiritual warfare when we were there. I mean, not only flights getting canceled, kids getting COVID in the States, Kim getting COVID, having to stay, like that was a piece of it. But that's stuff that like we figured out, you know, you just call the airlines, you talk to the babysitters, whatever. But they, Kim started to share, they've had some really painful experiences with their team leaving. And there's just been a lot of warfare against them. And I feel like in us going to partner with them, we put ourselves in the enemy's sights, which I'm happy to do on behalf of my friends. But it has been a really difficult transition back home. Um, not Kim came home Monday night, and so everyone was back in the States. Everyone's healthy, you know, all of that. But this week, the best way that I can describe it is I felt like Eeyore, and I've had my own personal rain cloud, you know, following me around. And there's some realities of jet lag and that kind of stuff, but I'm also aware that there's just spiritual attack. Um, I've been more depressed this week than any other week that I can remember, with no reason for it. Like I said, it's not like anything's bad. It's not like, but there's just this heaviness. Um, that I believe is from the enemy. Um, and so uh, this putting together a message for this week, this is the hardest message I've ever put together, not because it's like, oh, wow, it's just that great of a message. It's probably a B, if I'm honest. But there's just been a distance with the Lord that sometimes is there, doesn't mean something's wrong, but I'm just aware that the enemy has been moving and so I just want to share and, and ask for your prayer. Uh, I hate pretense and the thought of coming up and just acting like everything's awesome and let's just talk about, like, it's not always that. And that's okay. Uh, but I just need some people lifting me up. And so, Brian, if you would, uh, if I can put you on the spot just to pray. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Man, it's good to have healthy relationships uh, where you can be open with each other where it doesn't have to be pretend and all of that like it's it's really really good i would encourage you guys to get some uh, as a matter of fact i might even preach a series on it hey let's start today what do you say i want to uh to begin a series we'll spend the next couple of weeks just talking about healthy relationships and i've called it healthy relationships 101 because I just want to talk about some foundational things. Uh, there are some pretty broken relationships, even in this room. There are some people dealing with some really heavy things, and I don't think that I can stand up here and, through a couple messages, fix all your problems. It doesn't work like that. But what I want to do is begin to give us some tools and some principles to be able to, to start to cultivate healthy relationships. And I use that word cultivate very intentionally. Oftentimes we think of anything with a spiritual context more like a vending machine 
We just pray some prayers. God, would you fix my marriage? God, would you fix this relationship? You, you put your dollar bill in, you push the button, and out comes what you ordered. Most of us who have tried that know it doesn't work. When it comes to building healthy relationships in your life, and this is across the board, this is from the most intimate relationships, even honestly to work relationships and across the board, it takes cultivation. Cultivation is obviously an agricultural term, which means like digging up the soil, preparing the soil to take the seed. And then you put the seed in, and is it you wake up the next morning and there's your plant and there's your fruit you get to eat? It takes time. It takes work. There are certain conditions that have to be present for a healthy plant to grow. And when it comes to healthy relationships, it works a lot the same way. There is a lot of time and energy that goes into having healthy relationships. They don't happen on accident. And it doesn't happen overnight. Some of you are, are in the midst of even some broken relationships now, and it's like, man, is there even any hope? Is there... And my encouragement to you as we, we begin to walk through this is that you just reflect and go, okay, but am I preparing the soil for it? Uh, when it comes to this whole plants growing thing, the Apostle Paul uses it as an example for how the gospel works. But, and what does he say? I'm really good at making plants grow. Is that what Paul says? He goes, look, some people put the seed in the ground, some people water, but who makes the plants grow? This is an easy one, church. If it swings from a tree and it has a tail and someone in Sunday school says, what is it? The answer is Jesus. That's right. Just always say Jesus and, and you're in there. Only God makes the plant grow. It's much the same way in our relationships. There's some principles that we can put into play to get ourselves ready, to get the soil as ready as possible. And then from there, we ask for God to grow healthy relationships in our lives. Does that make sense? So I want to walk us through, uh, over the next few weeks, some cultivation principles. Re because relationships are one of the most, if not the most, uplifting or destructive things that we have in this life. Think about people that you know that, that are in a healthy place in life. Maybe they're a little further along and they're, they're mature in their life. You spend time with them. You, you, you hear their stories. Maybe you even pray with them. What are the things they're giving thanks for? It's the people in their lives. It's the relationships that they've had along the way. And they start telling stories about, oh, this person was just, they were able to speak into my life in just such an incredible way. And if you're not where they are, it kind of raises up a little bit of jealousy in you. And not even necessarily this ungodly sinful jealousy, this jealousy that like, ah, oh, I want relationships like that. I want people to walk with me like that. But you start to look at them and you get that sense that they wouldn't be where they are without the relationships they've had along the way, without the healthy relationships they've had along the way. Relationships are meant to be one of, if not the most uplifting things we have in this life, but they can also be one of the most destructive. We, we know this, especially when it comes to children. What's the thing that, you know, as they used to be a good kid, but then they fell in with what? The wrong crowd. They got the wrong kinds of relationships around them. They were in some unhealthy relationships, and it was a trajectory-altering kind of event in their life. The relationships, we know this with our kids, the kind of people they spend time with, 
the kind of friend that they become has the ability to completely shift the trajectory of their life. But some of us, when we turn 18, we go, okay, cool, I'm over that now. And we don't think about it as much. And it's just kind of, I don't know, they're just my friends. They just are. It's just the people I work with. We start getting less and less intentional about our relationships if we're not careful. And that is an incredibly dangerous thing. Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, says this in Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So obviously in this is be careful the people you choose to build relationships with. But even in this is the, the power of relationships. The people that you are in relationship with and the kinds of relationships you have will affect the trajectory of your life. It will either be a a ball and chain holding you back, and I'm not even just talking about marriage, or it will be something like the wind beneath your wings. That just came to me. I should write that down. (laughs) The one who walks with the wise will become wise. If you want to be wise, surround yourself with wise people and seek deep relationship with them. The companion of fools suffers harm. Surround yourself with fools who, by definition, have unhealthy relationships, and it will harm your life. The health of our relationships makes all the difference. Later, in Proverbs, Solomon goes on to talk about some of the most important intimate relationships in our lives, and he talks about how they kind of underscore everything that we have. And he says it in an incredibly interesting way. It's so important, he even repeats it in two different Proverbs. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. And we go, whoa, Solomon. He goes, no, 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 it's good. Keep reading. A couple chapters later, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Solomon, you already said that. He goes, yeah, it's real important. And it's easy to to go, yeah, wives, so stop your nagging. Like, I don't think that that was really the ultimate point Solomon was trying to make. He was trying to tell his son be careful who you marry. It makes a huge difference. But if this would have been written by one of Solomon's many wives, catch that, he didn't take his own advice very well. If it would have been written by one of Solomon's wives to their daughters, it would have said something along the lines of, better to live out in the field than with an overbearing husband. Better to to live outdoors than with a lazy man. You know, it, it would have said the same thing in the other way. There's something we can learn from this. This isn't just, hey, men, be careful because a nagging wife is the worst. Not the point. Well, I think what he's trying to say is if your core relationships are not healthy, it doesn't matter what else you have in life. It'd be better to give it all up. You know what? I don't even live in a house anymore. I'm going to go live out in the elements. That's better than to have this broken, unhealthy core relationship. He says in another way in Proverbs 19, a foolish son is his father's ruin and a wife's nagging is an endless dripping. He was big on the nagging thing. But a house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a sensible wife is from the Lord. So he he doesn't, he's not just picking on wives. He goes, man, as a grown man, he's trying to, to teach his son to grow into this healthy man. And he says, a broken relationship with your son, it's your ruin. I don't care how good you're doing in business. I don't care. If these core relationships are unhealthy, nothing else matters. 
back to the nagging wife example. But then he goes on and he says this, a house and wealth are inherited from fathers. Look, riches come and go. A big house or whatever, that's all like fine and good. But what is the gift of God? A sensible wife from the Lord. A wife that you can connect with, that you can actually grow with. He's talking about this depth and healthy relationship. He goes, that is a gift from God. Everything else that we're chasing comes and goes. Some people are given it by their fathers. Some people have to work really hard for it. I would trade it all to have health in my, my core relationships, in the deepest places. Do you see the point that Solomon is trying to get? So don't get distracted by the nagging wife part. That's another message for another day that I will not preach. <laughs> but really what he's trying to say is you would trade the whole thing for health in that relationship. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must learn to cultivate healthy relationships because catch this, I think it's what we're here for. I believe that cultivating healthy relationships is our ultimate calling on this earth. It is the core of everything that we are called to be about. It is the means to every end that God has called us to. We look at it and we go, we're to take the gospel to the whole world and we're to preach it and we're to um, break the chains of injustice and set captives free. The problem is when we separate that from healthy relationships, you get a whole lot of religion and it's super dangerous. The vehicle that's going to get us to all the places God has called us to go, the, the means to the end is going to be the vehicle of healthy relationships. If I asked, and I, I want you guys to talk to me here for a minute, if I gathered a group of just typical believers in Christ, so I mean, I got a couple people from every different church in Elkins, so there's kind of all kinds of teaching or whatever. It's just a wide group. And I sat them all in a room and I, I gave them this quiz. And I said, hey, tell me about the health of your spiritual life. What kind of things would they write down? How would they describe the health of their spiritual life? Just typical believers, not super smart people like yourselves, the rest of them. How would your average believer describe the health of their spiritual life? I go to church. They would, they would tell me how often they go to church probably. What else? Okay, how often they, they read their Bible, how often they pray, those daily devotions that they do. What else? Okay, yeah, you know, it's going really good because I just got back from this missions trip. And so look at what I did. Everything's obviously really good. How else might they describe the health of their spiritual life? <laughs> I love the vagary of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a good person, so everything's good. Yeah? Most often, they would describe to me their devotional practices. Here's how much time I spend reading the Bible. Here's how many days a week, how often it happens. Here, let me tell you about my prayer life. Let me tell you, here's how often I attend church. Maybe even if they were like, if they could do it anonymously, here's how much I give. And they would tell me about their devotional practices. And we have to pay attention to that because the things that we measure are the things that we believe matter. And so what the, the average believer, if those are the kind of ways that they would describe the health of their spiritual life, then what they're saying is at the core of my spiritual life is read the Bible more, pray more, 
give more, go to church more, that kind of stuff. If I do those, I'm the kind of man or woman that God wants me to be. But let's look at what Jesus says is at the core of what it is to be a follower of God. You guys are very familiar. We've talked about this passage a number of times. A teacher of the law comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So if you went to Jesus and you said, Jesus, tell me about the health of your spiritual life, obviously he'd be able to say it's aces because he's Jesus. But how would he describe the health of his spiritual life to you? Just take a stab at it. It would all be in the context of relationship. First, my relationship with the Lord. There is, there is love and there is trust there. There's obedience there. there he, and he would describe what it looks like to love God, heart, mind, and soul. But then this passage where it says the second is like it, literally what that means is the second is on the same level. The second is of the same kind and importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would describe the health of his spiritual life as, I went to a party the other night with some prostitutes, some tax collectors, and some sinners, and I loved them well. I don't think he would say, well, I spent about an hour and a half on the mountaintop praying with my father, so I think I'm doing pretty good. Again, not that that's unimportant, but that's a means to an end. What he would describe is his ability to love people to have healthy relationships with people because of all of the other stuff. He would have a healthy relationship with God. We've been talking a lot about spiritual disciplines uh, since the beginning of the year, and this is where spiritual disciplines come in. They're tools, not just so that we can say, man, look at how much I fast, look at how much I give, look at how much I, I, I meditate on the scriptures, but they're tools to help me become better at loving God and ultimately loving people. The health of our relationships is the core of who we've been called to be. It's not an optional thing. Sometimes we, we, we look at our spiritual life and we put it in a vacuum. We, we even look at, here in a little bit, we're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit and we go, okay, am I loving inside? Am I patient inside? Am I joyful inside? And he's going, who cares? Fruit doesn't stay inside, it comes out. It's all meant to be demonstrated in the health of relationships. If we can say, I read my Bible two hours a day and I pray three hours a day, so tell me about how good you are at loving people. I really don't spend a whole lot of time with people. I'm too busy reading my Bible and praying. We're failing. We're missing it. If it's not playing itself out, in cultivation of these healthy relationships, we're completely missing the point. We've actually probably made an idol out of reading scripture and prayer and those kinds of things. There is this one phrase used in the New Testament over a hundred times, and it's the phrase, one another. This, this phrase is always in the context of how we live amongst one another. So a hundred different times, just in the New Testament alone, this one Greek word, which we won't get into the Greek, but it means one another is used. Sixty times it's used as a command. 
60 times we're commanded to do something with or for one another. What kinds of things are we commanded to do in relationship with one another? Just shout them out. I don't even, I don't need like passage and verse and all of that kind of stuff. Just what kind of things are we commanded to do with or for one another? Love one another. Forgive one another. Serve one another. Break bread with one another. Carry each other's burdens. What else? Fellowship with one another. Baptize one another. What else? Again, there's 60 of them. 60 unique commands for one another. And we're, I'm not looking for all 60. Don't worry about that. To consider one another better than myself. We, uh, right on that same passage, Philippians 2 is what you're talking about. It also says to serve one another. What else? To sing. There should be this overflow of joy with one another. To honor one another. <laughs> to greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, we'll work on that one when we get to the nagging wife stuff. That's a, that's a different day. To confess your sins one to another. On and on and on it goes. We've been taught not to read scripture correctly. We've been taught to read it with these filters on that kind of we get these devotional practices and we go, love God means only pay attention to the part where Jesus went up onto the mountainside and we should do that more. When really love God, love people, all of these one another passages should just come slamming into us. 60 different commands in the New Testament. All of them boil down to love your neighbor as yourself. Like Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on this. We have to be people of healthy relationships. We're commanded to be, and we'll talk here in a minute, we're empowered to be. But this has to be a focus. This has to become the measuring stick by how we measure where am I at in my relationship with Jesus. It's not a time thing. It's not an effort thing. Is it playing out in the cultivation of healthy relationships. If it's not, I'm missing it. I don't care what, what I'm doing and how much time I'm spending. If it's not bearing fruit of healthy relationships, my focus is in the wrong place. Could it be that the health of our relationships are meant to be one of, if not the loudest proclamation of the gospel we have? What if the health of our relationships is meant to be our clearest expression of the kingdom? Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying to actually verbally proclaim the gospel is unimportant. What I am scared of is we've kind of separated the two, and there's actually theological camps some that say it's just about, just tell people the story of Jesus. Just put it on a billboard, leave it in a tract, just shout it from the, the sidewalks in the city. And there's another camp that goes, no, you don't ever have to tell people, just serve really well. Just start this organization that works with orphans and, you know, and do really good things. Have healthy relationships, love people well, and you don't really have to tell them about Jesus. Both are wrong. I've preached in the past against the danger of this kind of idea of a social gospel, but it's just as dangerous to think I don't have to love people well as long as I get the story right and I tell them really well about Jesus. 
people should see something in the health of our relationship that, that wakes this jealousy inside of them. Something that they go, I want that. Maybe they have no idea what it is because we, we haven't had the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, but there's something in them that goes, I don't know what they call it, but I have to have that. I want someone to love me that well. I want to be able to love someone that well. They should see it clearly portrayed in our relationships. It should be a screamingly loud proclamation of the gospel, expression of the kingdom, that then they come asking us, what is it? I think of 1 Peter 4 where he says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have inside of you. Why? Because the world's going to come knocking and asking when they see the way you carry yourself, when they see the way you love others, that you cultivate healthy relationships, they will demand an answer from you. And then we get to proclaim the gospel to them. But do they see it in our lives? Is that our goal? That every day I would just grow in my ability to love others, to build healthy relationships that the world may see and know that Christ has sent me. When Hannah and I, uh, and Kim, she was there too, but when she was in a different room for most of it, so was she even there? While all of us were in Jordan, Hannah and I taught this one class together, and so every day we would teach the same one-hour class four times, and it got to a point where it was exhausting. The fourth one, I'm like, I can't do this again, but... One time I fell asleep, so I don't think they could do either. We did have that's interesting, yeah, when they just fall asleep on you. But the one thing we could not do in Jordan, we were expressly forbidden, was to speak about Jesus. I, I had to share my testimony when I was there, and I had to do it in a way that left Jesus out. That was hard. I was like, I don't like this. I feel like I'm lying to these people. I had to tell them, I had this strange experience one day, and like hoping they would go and ask the, the believers there one day, like, what was he talking about? But we were not able to proclaim the gospel. It would have put people's citizenship in danger. The people that we were working with would not have been allowed to stay in country anymore if they realized these are Christians here to proselytize. And they've actually brought some help with them. Bad. And so I went in thinking, how do I then proclaim the gospel to these girls? They need it. They were broken. My heart went out for them, but I couldn't share the gospel with them. I had a resolve. They will see the gospel in the way that I love my daughter. In, in the way that we interact, which for them, the way that men interact with women and with children is pretty starkly different than what hopefully a lot of us are used to. And so going, I can't share the name of Jesus, but they will see the kingdom in the way that I love my daughter. And not because I did it perfectly and I'm great, but I carry with me the Holy Spirit, and they will see a health in our relationship, the ability to joke, and for her to not be scared of me, and for, for me to actively love her and to empower her, in this, and to go, they will see the gospel through the help of my relationship, and my prayer is that one day, somebody else gets to tell them what the heck they saw. But that, that honestly should be the way that we go about every day of our lives. I shared a little bit about Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, oftentimes we think of the fruit of the Spirit and we think about that it's this internal thing. 
and that it can all happen inside of me. And am I more loving in a vacuum? When I'm in a room by myself, how loving am I? Impossible to tell. These are things that are expressed in relationship, that we're joyful with one another, that we're at peace with one another, that we're patient with one another. I'm super patient when I'm in my bed alone. Man, you've never seen such a peaceful, patient guy. (laughs) Then one of my kids comes knocking, am I really peaceful and patient? All of these are meant to be expressed in healthy relationships. It's what we're called to do. Jesus, in what was called his high priestly prayer, right before he he goes to the cross, he prays this long prayer in John chapter 17. And here's a part of it. Uh, Speaking about his disciples, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Just as Jesus was in the Father and one with the Father, he says, may they also be one with each other. And if the world sees that, this unity, this living together, this all of that one another stuff, carrying each other's burdens, confessing and forgiving and, and uplifting one another. When the world sees that, they will know that you have sent me, Jesus said. And he goes on to say, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, or loved them, excuse me, even as you loved me. When the world sees unity in us, they will know that Jesus is legit. When they see the health of our relationships, sometimes this word unity, we get a little confused and we go, so it means cookie cutter. We all look alike, act alike, think alike, talk alike. That's unity. Couldn't be further from the truth. It's this tapestry of all different colors and textures woven together, but caring so well for one another that anytime there's disagreement, the only opportunity to display unity is in disagreement. Anytime there's disagreement, that we come and we go, you are more important than this issue. And so how do we move forward together? How do we get on the same page? You know what? Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bring us together in unity What we tend to do is we get factions and we go, let's pray against them and that the Lord would prove that we're right. But it says when we have these healthy relationships built together just as Jesus and the Father are one and as we're knit together in that same way, that the world will go, this Jesus they're talking about is legit. And that the kingdom will be advanced, not because we're so good at telling the story, but because we're so good at living out the healthy relationships that he's called us and empowered us to, then they will know that he has sent us. A couple just to touch on really quickly, looking at, as Paul describes, what it takes to become an elder in the church, the leader of the church. The the word that they use in 1 Timothy 3 is an overseer of the church, Jesus' very own bride. And so he's going, this is a big deal. These are the people that will lead my church, not something God takes lightly. Look at the qualifications that he gives. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, 
the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? All of those are relational qualifications. They have to have healthy relationships. If they're a quarrelsome person, that undermines what God is calling us to in the health of relationships and leading people. They're not fit to be an elder. If they're not respectable, hospitable, even able to teach, which we go, well, is that really a relational thing? Yeah. Not addicted to wine. Well, what's that have to do with other people? Kidding. All of these are relational qualifications. What's the, what's the qualification to become an elder in the church of God? You have to be able to cultivate healthy relationships within your own home and even out in the culture. You have to be well-respected, live a life that's above reproach. You have to be good at relationships. Even with your enemies. Matthew chapter 5 but you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One of the, the qualities of someone that follows Christ, of a true disciple of Christ, is that they are seeking so hard after healthy relationships, it even spills out on those that are actively persecuting and cursing. And we think persecution sometimes now is like somebody, I got, they had this Twitter beef and they didn't like my post and they, um, somebody at work, when I, they just roll their eyes when I talk about Jesus. This was literally, they're picking up rocks and they're coming for your life. And Jesus said, even they should experience the love of God being poured out on them. That you refuse to be sucked into that downward spiral of unhealthy relationship but that you step above it and you pray for them and you bless them. You actually seek deeper relationship with them. You seek their best even while they're seeking to curse you. When we as the people of God take on the challenge to cultivate healthy relationships, even to that point, even if they hate me, I will continue to move toward them in love and in respect to see their own good the world will know that Christ has sent us. Does this make sense, church? Okay, it got real quiet on me. So what are some qualities of a healthy relationship? Uh, that, there was a whole lot there on how we should be aiming towards healthy relationships. What, are, what do healthy relationships look like? What are some qualities of healthy relationships? And this can be marriage, this can be friendship, this can be even work relationships, whatever it is. What are some qualities that are kind of always there in healthy relationships? Honesty? Honesty? Yeah. Openness? Even, even that kind of transparency that comes with it? Yeah? Respect? What else? Communication. Communication? Absolutely. The ability to disagree with each other. And like, like, and punch each other and that kind of, oh. Yeah. 
to be able to disagree with each other and remain in relationship. We can disagree with each other. We're pretty good at it. But to remain in relationship even when there's disagreement, that's a huge one. What else? Yeah. 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 Humility as a direct result of loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Like, I think when Jesus put those two, the greatest uh, commandments there, he did it very intentionally. It begins with that healthy relationship with God, and the overflow is the ability to love others well, to love your neighbor as yourself, to have that healthy relationship. Humility is key. Pride is a relationship killer. What else? Sure. Right. It's weird that we have to mention that, but I think every one of us knows what you're talking about. Having a genuine interest in the other person. Most of us have a genuine interest in what the other person can give us or can do for us, but to have a genuine interest in them, even if you get nothing out of it. Very good. What else? Qualities of a healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Communication. I, I heard somebody talking about um, something else in Scripture, and they were said, it's like breathing. Is breathing breathing in, or is breathing breathing out? It's both. You can't have one without the other. Try breathing in and then breathing in again. It doesn't work so well. It's this communication, listening, talking back to them, whatever. It's this dance, and it's got to be both. If that's out of balance... Your relationship is out of balance. I think one of the, we're going to keep coming back and kind of talking about qualities of a healthy relationship and talking about some of these principles. The one that I want to touch on really quickly to end our our service here today, the first principle to cultivate healthy relationships is this. Your relationships will only ever be as healthy as you are. Uh, In in the book, Soul Care, in in describing relationships, he puts it like this. If you are on a scale of one to 10, if you're healthy, like you're a four, the healthiest relationship you'll ever have will be a four. Even if you're trying to surround yourself with healthier people, you're going to bring them down. If you're with threes, the best it could ever get is up to a four. Here's the point of this principle. The place that we tend to start with healthy relationships is we look at the people around us. We look at our spouse, we look at our boss, we look at our friends, and we say, well, if they would just blank, we would have a much healthier relationship. If they would, maybe they need to hear messages like this because they're only a four. And if they would just try to bump it up, how much control do you have over the other people in your relationships? Kim says very emphatically, zero. (laughs) The only person in the relationship you can control is you. Can you pray for that person? 100%. Can you try to model health for that person and and even have conversations and try to, to lead them forward? Yes. Do they have to listen? No. How much control do you have over your responses? 100%. The only person you can control in the relationship is you. 
So don't waste time focusing on all the things they need to do to change. That's a fool's errand, and it just leads to bitterness. But we need to approach our relationships going, the healthiest this, this thing will ever be is as healthy as I am. I put a ceiling on the health of this relationship, and so if I want it to grow, the first place I have to look is me. Am I, back to Jesus, the, the greatest commandments, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? It begins there. And is that translating into loving people, loving my neighbor as I hope someone would love me? If there's a disconnect there, then I have some work to do. And what if the other person actually is wrong and unhealthy? Well, okay, then we pray for them. But my responsibility in cultivating healthy relationships is me. Am I doing everything that I can to cultivate these healthy relationships? If not, doesn't matter what the other person does. I will be the anchor holding this whole thing back. I have to focus on me. Your relationships will only ever be as healthy as you are. So we must learn to cultivate healthy relationship so that we can live at peace with God and with others and so that we can see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will all happen through relationships. It cannot happen if we're not willing to do the work to love God well and to love people well. We have to focus on this idea of healthy relationships. So as we come back next week, we'll start looking at principle two and working our way through it. But we're going to, to sing a song now. I'm going to ask the music team to come up, and it's called Spirit Lead Me. And because I really wanted to focus on this idea that it begins with the Father. It begins with relationship from Him, with receiving what we need from Him so that we can pour out love on those that are, are around us. So as we sing this song, I'm just going to ask you to kind of keep some of those relationships in mind. The, the chorus is, is simply that spirit lead me. Like wherever you go, that's where I want to go. Whatever you say, that's what I want to be about in this idea. He is always about us loving other people well. So as we sing this song, just try to keep that in mind. And let's just praise our Father. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time that we had together. Lord, and I pray that the fruit that you bear in us, that as we spend time with you, as we read your word, as we pray, as we even worship together and come together today, that it would result in better relationships, God. That we would be better equipped to love people well. That we would have a heart for those around us and we would move toward. Otherwise, again, we've been wasting our time. May you keep this in front of us this week and, and moving forward, God, that it all begins and ends with the health of our relationships. So move as only you can, God. Would you just speak clearly to where each of us are? We have unique relationships with unique struggles. Would you just speak incredibly clearly to us, God, next steps? How to love well, how to begin to cultivate that soil that one day that tree could grow. So we trust you with all of this. We need your, your guidance in this. So lead, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.